Well, if you have your Bibles, and you should, somewhere, either memorized, uh, it's Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, let me just read a bit of it, and uh, I'll get over the embarrassment. First of all, we do need to welcome, am I allowed to call attention to these people, these guests? Okay. I wasn't sure if you kept it, wanted to keep it secret. Okay. Um, we have uh, four rather distinguished people here amongst us, uh, representing four universities, uh, Christian universities in North America, who are here to help us be even better at what we do. Uh, they're what we call our student life auditing team. They've come from different places, uh, Oregon, Kentucky, um, Illinois, and, and Michigan. Right, uh, and uh, if they could stand, if they're here. Good. Well, two of them are here at least. Uh, and, we're, and they're just here for a few days to uh, work amongst us and, and try to help us become better at, uh, at what we're doing. And so we're really grateful uh, to welcome you here. Uh, this is a fascinating passage, and... Uh, Every time I look at it, I see different things. And I want to just read a bit of this. Uh, for this reason, this is chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's a great passage. This last week has been this interesting time of reflection and thoughtfulness for me. Uh, after the tragedy of Gabriel's death and the memorial service, last Tuesday in our chapel service here. Uh, that afternoon, I jumped a plane. I, I flew to L.A. to intend the installation of the new president of Fuller Theological Seminary, who was an old classmate of mine. And so it became this great celebration, and at the same time, for many of us, a class reunion, if you can imagine what that would be like. We all got there. And we realized we all kind of had descended to get, uh, at the same time, and it was a chance to talk. The celebration was full of pomp and, and ceremony. Old classmates, professors re reacquainting myself with them after years of not seeing them. Professors, interestingly enough, who remembered me, which really struck me as odd after some years of being away. I won't tell you how many. <clears throat> classmates which I hadn't seen for years. I mean, we graduated and we, and we just kind of scattered all over North America and all over the world. So as a result, we had these amazing conversations about life and, and how it had been lived, about sorrows and joys, about pain and about celebration, about tragedies and about triumphs. And I realized in the midst of all of those conversations, life is like that, isn't it? It's, it's a lot like last week for us and for me, especially. 
uh, leaving a service of memorial that had great tragedy and sorrow all wrapped in it. And moving to another one that was triumphant and life-giving. And I found myself doing a lot of kind of self-reflection and thinking a lot about you, the student body here. And interestingly enough, I found myself drawn to this passage at the same time. This is Paul's prayer to the believers at the church at Ephesus. But it came out of a conversation that I had with one of my professors. This was the professor, and usually there's one. There's usually one that's really not done well in your life. Just, that's normal. But there's usually one professor. If you're lucky, you get more than one. But one is great. And this was mine. This one professor who had been my supervisor and been the first person that actually helped me learn that I actually had a mind and an intellect. He taught me that I could think. You see, most of my life, uh, I grew up thinking I couldn't think. This was the man, this was the person who, who spoke into my life and helped me realize that there was so much more to me than I had ever imagined. And this passage came to me after I told him I had become the president of Tyndale, uh, which he knew about. And it was then that I realized he'd had an impact on my life. This is what he said to me. I knew you'd do something like that someday. Yeah, I didn't. That all the pieces of the good life God had placed before you, I knew that it would someday culminate in some kind of influential leadership. God, he said, always wanted to do something through you. That's what I prayed for, he said. Isn't that fascinating? Years he's prayed for me. And this is what he prayed for. I said, thanks a lot. <laughs> then he told me that this was the prayer. This Ephesians prayer. What could I say to you, I thought, after this last week that we faced sorrow and tragedy one day. And then I faced celebration the next Last week I quoted the passage, here I lay before you, life and death, choose life. Well, listen to what this life is. Listen to what this life is in the perspective of Paul's prayer. And the prayer my professor prayed for me as he prayed these verses for me. This life of faith we hope for you. And that he hoped for me. The first thing. Paul prays for <clears throat> is he prays that the world of the Ephesian Christians would be expanded. My prayer is that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Isn't that interesting? That your world might be enlarged. It might be made bigger. I've long believed that education and formation was about capturing the imaginations of students in such a way that the little worlds they've lived 
become so much bigger and add faith to that component, contrary to what others may think. Add faith to that component and you can have an even bigger world. You can imagine a world in which getting to the top is not the goal. Instead, it's replaced by a desire for servanthood and serving. The weak shall be strong. Where being first is replaced by being available to others, you'll find life in this enlarged world by giving it up. So that you can, as Paul says, know him better. Be more like him. Be more like Christ. You only find this kind of life out long and looking back. Living long and looking back at what God has done. You find life by giving it up. The numbers of conversations that I had with my former classmates at Fuller surprised me. The number of conversations that said, I thought I was going to do this, but God had other plans for me. I thought I was going to be a pastor. Now I'm an IT specialist in San Francisco, and I'm kind of, all of a sudden, everybody wants me. All I ever wanted to do was this, one of my friends said. But you know what? God surprised me. Actually, all I ever wanted to do was pastor a church. And I was telling my friend who had said this, all I ever wanted to do, he said, now I have to do this because this is what God's called me to. So the first prayer, the first thing that he prays for is that your world would be expanded. The second prayer, the thing that he prays for is that you might have a purposed life. Listen to this. He says that the eyes of your heart, literally the deepest places of your living and your motivation, might be enlightened so that you might know the hope of your calling. I'm not quoting Rick Warren here. But this idea of a purpose life. <coughs> I shared with some of you in class and I've shared with you other places that I never came to faith because of a sense of my sinfulness and, and my need for God. Now, lest you get the wrong impression, I was painfully aware that I was sinful. So don't go to someone and say, the president said. I was painfully aware of that sinfulness, but it wasn't, interestingly enough, enough to drive me toward God. It happened for me one purposeless night at my sixth party in six days, in an evening, walking out of an apartment in my first year of university and walking into the parking lot and going, this is stupid. This is absolutely dumb. Is this what it's all about? Is this all that it is? I came to Christ because I had a deep sense of purposelessness and a need for something more in my life. Isn't it interesting that that's what Paul prays for? 
that the eyes of your heart, literally the deepest places, might be enlightened so that you might have a hope in your calling. And calling here is both general and specific. It's this big picture of us all being called to something in faith. A set of kingdom values, if you want. A a set of manifestos like the Sermon on the Mount, which call us to something rich and full. But then there's a specificness to calling as well. A sense that each one of you has something that God has intended for you, specifically for you to be and to do. Don't forget that. That's part of this expanded world. You have a purpose, both generally and specifically. I like saying, my prayer is that you might know what you were about and that it would grab all of you. My mother used to say, I used to hate it when she said it. Maybe your mother said the same thing. Whatever you do, and she always said it with firm lips, whatever you do is worth doing well. Even if it was cutting the lawn, which made no sense to me whatsoever. I used to think it was stupid. But now, after many years, I get it. She was right. The worst thing to be is a lazy liver. I'm not talking about the anatomy here. I mean, a a lazy liver just kind of drifts through life. It's even worse if you're a person of faith and a lazy liver. Passionate, purpose living is the way of what our Australian friend said a couple of weeks ago. This is the way that we as a first day of the week people live our lives. We live with a passionate purpose. The third thing and the last thing is that Paul prays here not just for purpose living but that you might see God at work. I'm not going to read it, but if you read on in this passage from 19 to 22, it's all about watching God at work. You choose life because God wants to do something with you and through you, and you don't want to miss it. God is faithful, and you don't want to miss what God wants to do. I've been trying to convince my mother and father my mother is 88, and my dad is 92. He, he retired at 89. And he just doesn't want us. My mother wants to stay in the house, and my dad just wants to get going. I'm not going to roll over, he says. I'm not just going to roll over and die. Well, you know, we went through this conversation with him one day, going over all of the things that they would have missed, you know, if they had died when most of their friends died. I know this sounds rather morose, but but it is an interesting conversation with them. I mean, because a number of their friends died in their 60s. They've had 30 years 
to see grandchildren, great-grandchildren, to attend, my mother said this because she was very proud, to attend my installation here. My dad has umpteen dozen sermons. He always cries when I preach. So he comes to church when I was pastoring and he would cry during the sermon, not, not because I was preaching badly, <laughs> but just because he kind of thinks this is cool that I'm doing this. Uh, but think of the umpteen dozen crying sermons that he would have missed. Think of the ways that he would have missed what God was doing in his life and his children's lives. I think I shared with you that he, he, he lies in bed at night with my mother, crying sometimes. She's so proud of his two boys. You know, like it gets a little sickening to my mother. But it took me a long time to make him proud. Not because he wasn't proud of me from the beginning, but I screwed up my life pretty well. He would have missed all that. My prayer is that you'd see God at work. God do things. God is faithful. That's the most important thing that you can learn. And you will only learn it in the long life. As long as God gives you life, you will only know how God is at work by able, being able to look back. I saw this cartoon. A friend, I have a lot of weird Australian friends, sorry. And, and this cartoon, uh, he sent me. He always sends weird cartoons, and this one I love. Because it's a take on the footsteps. <laughs> you know, I love this. Because the footsteps thing is nice. He carried me, right? But think of how many times he dragged me into the next thing. I love this. That long groove over there is when I dragged you for a while. You only learn that in life. You only learn that as you look back and you see what God has done and you go, oh, now I understand. I mean, things that I thought were were parallel worlds that never seemed to converge, all of a sudden coming together. God was at work in those, those seemingly unconverged you know, themes in my life to a point in my life where, they, where they, all of a sudden they, they kind of came and they intersected with each other. It's God at work. Think what you'd miss if you didn't know that, what God had done in your life, how he changed you. Years ago, um, when I came back from California, I was reminded of this again. Uh, I, th- this, when you get out of seminary, there's this sense that you, you really know everything. And you do. Like you are now, you've got God bagged, right? Because you've taken systematic theology. Uh, You've you got it all figured out. And, you ha- and, and the congregation is, you're convinced, is absolutely desperate for this. 
you know, all that you now know. Nothing's worse than a, a first-year graduate seminary student uh, when they're finally out in the world. Likewise, you know, I think when you come out of a Christian university, you've struggled with the questions. You still have a lot to live to really test those things. But I graduated, and I came back to Canada, and I lived in Southern California, and this was going to... I mean, I had so much to tell. You know, I lived in the land of the fruits and the nuts. And, I mean, I knew what this was like. And I got, I got, I got to Canada... And I was an associate pastor, and the senior pastor never let me preach. And I had so much to give. You know, like I had so much to offer, and, and he just was not letting me lay, him on, lay it on him. And so finally he says, uh, one Sunday, I'll let you preach four weeks from now. Oh, it was the day of Pentecost. I mean, this was, this was the area which I was strongest in, Holy Spirit and the church. Like, I could really. So I crafted an hour and a half long sermon. I mean, it was, it was, it was a beauty to behold. Um, and, and I got there. I started in the Old Testament with that great Hebrew word, ruach, which is spirit, right? Literally breath, ruach. It's what we translate in Hebrew to the English Breath, say it all together. Ruach. Isn't that a neat word? And, and, and I, I talked about bad breath, good breath. You know, I talked about all sorts of different kinds of things. Finally, I got into the New Testament. And I got to the passage on the day of Pentecost. And uh, I started to describe it. Now, I know I've told this story to some of you, but stay with me. And just as I started to describe it, I said, and there were tongues of fire. And then I said, and then there was a great rushing wind. And just as I said, and there was a great rushing wind, bam! A window in the church blew out. It was unbelievable. (laughs) It was like the best object lesson that you could possibly have. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't have planned it Better turned out, for all you scientists here, some kind of suction of a wind dipped down, created a suction, a stained glass window that had a bad kind of insulation just literally got popped right out. But this is what I remember. I said, there was a great rushing wind, bam! The window blew out, and everybody in the congregation was like this. It was, for just a minute, they were ready, right? They were ready to see God at work. They were ready, anticipating. Now, I realize we can't live our lives always like that. But it might be a great goal. It might be something worth trying. To live life with the anticipation that you have a purpose to live. That you have a calling 
that your imagination is so captured that nothing will hinder you. This is a big world that you're being called to live into. And that God will work. That God will just show up. He'll work in your lives. That's what we pray for you. That's what we hope for you. We don't want you to have a smaller world. We want you to have a bigger world. We don't want you to live purposeless. But we want you to have a sense of calling. We want you to live. So that you'll recognize the moments that God dragged you. That God carried you. And then the ones where he just cheered to see you at work. Let's pray. This is our prayer. That you might expand our world, O oh God. Expose us to the hope of our calling. And to anticipate that you will work. Amen. Go with God.